Hey there, it's Alex. Before we start our episode, we wanted to put in a disclaimer that this episode contains quite a few violent stories, which you might expect from a horror podcast, but you know, werewolves. Also, I wanted to give credit to a few of my biggest research sources for this episode. Uh, first off, Lore, the podcast, the book, the show, so basically just Aaron Mankey. Uh, last podcast on the left had some great werewolf episodes. I also checked out History.com and Mental Floss. And that's it. Hope you enjoy. Hello. Welcome to Pomegranates and Pitchforks. I'm Alexandria Youngray. And here is my lovely co-host, Sunshine Bellon. Season's greetings, y'all. Ooh, yeah. (laughs) We are a horror podcast where we talk about horror. And that's us. (laughs) Well, that's really awkward. Anyway. um, We might need to generate a better summary. uh, Yeah, I'll figure it out. I've got, like, a decent write-up of us on, like, Instagram. <laughs> Just, like, reference that. Paraphrase that. I'm a creep and Sunshine is my, uh, enabling best friend. A little bit. I think I sort of, uh, <laughs> pawn some of my creepiness off onto you. Yeah, like, you pretend I... that it's all me. Yeah, like, you can do the dirty work. You can do the research. You can do the talking and making yourself sound super creepy and I'll just quietly nod and be like oh this is entirely new information and a perspective that I was not at all prepared for (laughs) oh I didn't know that weird things happened nor do I really want to hear about it yeah but yeah so before we get started I kind of I kind of want to do two shout outs the first shout out is for the last couple of episodes after we've posted, I've noticed that there's been at least one listener from Johannesburg, South Africa. So whoever's in South Africa listening to us, hi. Hi, That's thank cool. you. <laughs> <laughs> I hope the weather down there is great. Yeah. What's Christmas like? Probably warm. Really warm right. and beautiful all the time. But hi, Johannesburg. Oh, yeah. And second, I want to shout out this podcast that I've been, like, chatting with lately because I love them and they're precious. Uh, Fear and Fame podcast. Woo! They're these, like, adorable ladies from Colorado that do true crime and spooky, creepy shit. And one of them mostly does, like, pop culture stuff and the other one does, like kind of more general whatever she feels like that day stuff and they're just a lot of fun and they're really charming and their chemistry is nice and i've talked to them lately and they're nice and so i wanted to shout them out because they're precious i really love the uh, concept of a community of uh mountain dwelling women who yeah obviously <laughs> enjoy a good beverage and recording uh, creepy shit with their besties yeah it's lovely they're, they're always drinking wine, and we're always drinking beer or wine. <laughs> Except for, they obviously use wine glasses, and um, your wine is frequently in a can. 
And mine comes out of a box. <laughs> and when uh, I drink wine I out of a box, I did buy was... wine glasses recently. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, but it's for my box wine. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, a whole collection of wine glasses, but uh, when I'm drinking wine out of a box, it goes in a mug. I still want it in a glass. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm worried that I'm going to break my nice stemware or spill something. So you know. Um, Who do I got to impress? It's nice wine glasses. It's Target wine glasses. Mm. Yeah, so okay, fair. I probably spent like $3 a wine, like per wine glass, if you think about it. But anyway. Hi, ladies. I like your show. <laughs> we appreciate your camaraderie. And also I appreciate the weird, tiny, like, podcast community that we have found ourselves in. It's a it's great nice. thing. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just happy about it. So, uh, you want to get into werewolves? I would love to get into some werewolves. Let's. So this is okay. So I was thinking about this as like a roller coaster metaphor, but it didn't really work because like it's not like the. It, it's more like we're on two different roller coasters. Then we're on the same roller coaster in different sections of the ride. So the first episode that we did on werewolves was like the white roller coaster at Lagoon. For those of you who don't know, Lagoon is an old school amusement park in Utah. It's pretty good. The white roller coaster is not so much scary because of the ups and downs as it is the fact that it is old as hell. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was going to say about it. Oh, I'm sorry. I was no. I, you're fine. I burst I your bubble you, with my background no, information. No, I love that you put that in there. That was great. Uh, no, it's the 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 last episode was like, you know, it was an up and down, like wild, bumpy ride, but it was mostly scary because it's old as hell. Oh yeah, it's perfect. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and this episode is gonna be more like the Colossus, where it's like a little newer, and there's like a nice big like you know, up, down, like, oh my god, I'm screaming, this is so exciting, and then, like, a couple of loop-de-loops. I was gonna like say, a... you get your first taste of the loop-de-loop on that one. Yeah. <laughs> I hope we have some Utah listeners so they can really empathize with this metaphor. I think it might be um, difficult for pretty much anybody else, but I guess most people have been to an amusement park with one yeah. really old roller coaster and one, like, slightly scarier new one. Yeah. No, I, I think most people get the metaphor, just not the specific roller coasters I named. Yes, okay. And also, I've got some friends that listen that <laughs> are from Utah. <laughs> okay. We have, we have a few listeners that are, like, you know, personal people that we know. <laughs> okay, yeah, fair. But yeah, no, we're getting into the, like, true stories. The, the not just story stories, but, like, the people and things that happened in history that actually influenced the werewolf myth so we're getting a little a little darker a little crazier kind of like what i said like this story has everything this story has beasts this story has serial killers well we're getting into that yay so real life things are so much scarier than stories no this this story gets so crazy it's fun as hell Okay, so we're going to start with Vislav of Polosk. Vislav of Polosk, yes. Yes, so he was a ruler. He was a powerful leader. Lived in 
Well, Polisk, obviously, but looking on a map that's northern Belarus. Which I love the name Belarus. It's so beautiful. It's a good name. It's a good name. Um, so so a lot more Eastern European. Okay. Um, 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 um stuff and things. Okay, so he was the great grandson, great great grandson. Further up the line. We're going like back before he's born history. Okay. Veslav was the great grandson of Ragnvald or uh, Rogvald. So Ragnvald, probably. That name means man who manipulates witches. So his like great cool. grandfather up the line had like this sorcery witches for bitches. thing in his- <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I mean that's what that sounds like, right? Witches for bitches. Uh, I think I just I think I just found the name of this fucking podcast episode. I mean, I think I just found the name. That was yes. my quick wit, no, but you're, you're right. welcome. I have discovered it <laughs> from your quick wit. <laughs> oh god. So so even like he had that, you know, in his bloodline, that that background. So enter Vladimir the Great of Kievan Rus. Is that how you say that? Kievarus? Kievarus? I feel like I've heard it said Kievarus. I don't know. Sure. He, Dirty Americans. He sought alliance with Polusk. With the, with the nation whatever yes. of Polusk? So with Ragnvald. Okay. Vladimir sought alliance with Ragnvald. Okay. By marrying his daughter, Rogneda. Okay. You know, the, the marriage alliances, like, super oh, yeah, that's political like thing. What marriage actually was for a long yes. time. That's what yes. marriage was until the Victorian era. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Um, for, like, most of time. <laughs> yes, for most of time. Which is why the whole sanctity of marriage thing is bullshit. But <laughs> I digress. Uh, <laughs> uh, so she was not into it. She said no. So he did the gentlemanly thing and uh, accepted her no and moved on and history never happened eh. just kidding he <laughs> raped her and forced her into marriage and killed her parents oh, brutal which was not gentlemanly at all bad vladimir you're bad and this is the grandfather grandfather this is of the great veslov. this is the great grandfather this is the grandfather yes yes grandfather of veslov is that his name? of veslov yes veslov yes veslov um, and then he converted to Christianity and divorced Rogneda and sent her off with their son, Izyaslav. Okay, so this would have been after... Wait, oh, he okay, converted so to Christianity? Oh, okay, so thought... is the grandfather of Veslov. So Vladimir would have been the great-great-grandfather, which makes Ragnvald the great-great-grandfather. So Veslov is the progeny of this unholy... yes. And that's Rapey kind of Union. the background, is that there's this, like, horrible lineage before he's even born. Okay. That makes sense. I yeah. don't understand how his father could uh, convert to Christianity and then divorce his and mother unless divorce. he was... Because that was the whole, like, Church of England break-off. Because because yeah. King Henry wanted to have the ability to divorce his wives. So, whatever. Um, that. Probably I is think just maybe it was like a different something something, and because he was ruler and also obviously a terrible person, he was like, whatever, I can divorce if I want to. Yeah. Okay. Fair. So, you know, he sent his traumatized as fuck wife off to raise their son. 
who was the grandfather of Vislov. To raise their son in Belarus? Yeah, yeah. She okay. she stayed in her home country and he went back okay. to Kivarus. So other than that horror origin, uh, Veslav was born in Kal, which is also the name for being born with the uterine sac still around your body. The placenta? Yes. I think that's what the placenta is, is the sac that would have been around the baby, but they like generally come out of it. No, 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 no. The placenta is a separate thing that goes up against the uterine wall. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, it's the like uterine lining is still. So basically, you know how the like the water breaks, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Essentially that it, it, it broke or it didn't break, but it's still around the baby. Right. That's like a balloon around the baby inside your uterus. Yes. Like a big old water balloon. Yes. And that um, water balloon came if out you with look him? up pictures of it, it's super weird because it looks like a baby is inside of an egg. Weird. Like, have you ever seen the egg without the eggshell and then there's like the little chick in there? Yeah. Well, you, yeah That's yeah, yeah. what it looks like. That's so creepy. I don't but like that. it's a human baby. I don't like that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's kind of cool. Anyway, uh, apparently it's, it's, it's very rare. It's like one in like 80,000 people are born like this. And differing... So obviously that means something, right? Did it mean yes. he was a witch? Well, okay, so for every every culture, it's a different meaning. But right. for, um, for this culture in particular, for Slavic folklore at the time, uh, being born in Kal or being born in the Vale is considered to be sort of like born with a magical, powerful armor. Okay, cool, yeah. So, because of that, um, he sort of, that was kind of, like, added to, okay, so he's got this, like, witch, sorcerer background, and also he has this magical armor, and so- it added to his mythos. mm -hmm, And he was also, like, a super powerful leader in battle. And how much that was because he was just a good leader in battle, and how much that was, like- his mythos kind of making people believe that. Well, or two, making himself believe. There's, yeah, I don't you know, think there's any chance that that wasn't a factor. Like, if you grow up thinking, for better or for worse, my, you know, grandfather is the master of witches or manipulator of witches, and I was born in call, and I have this magical armor. Like, mm-hmm. mind over matter is going to achieve a lot in that exactly. situation. <laughs> yeah. So basically, because he and everyone else believed it, he was it. Yeah. Magical thinking, man. Um, (laughs) so with all of these together that led to legends and rumors even at the time like among other communities that Mm -hmm. veslav was a powerful sorcerer and a werewolf werewolf because he was a sorcerer because nothing so far in this to me has said werewolf because he was a sorcerer yes okay yeah um and that's just like a slavic cultural thing like if you're a sorcerer you might be a werewolf well, be- yeah, no, exactly. Because, like, especially, you remember the the stories that we talked about last time. Mm-hmm. Of course I do. Yes. Yes. If you haven't listened to that episode, uh, you should. Um, <laughs> but if you're, if you're looking at, like, the old lycanthropy, a lot of the times if you had chosen to be a werewolf, it was because you were a powerful sorcerer. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Right, we talked about that. That makes sense. You, It's kind of your deal with the devil. Like, you get this power mm-hmm. and this ability, but you're going to also have uncontrollable bloodlust. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. 
and and there are like stories of him like becoming a werewolf uh, and you know because the werewolf wasn't the bipedal man bear thing it was a wolf he would become a werewolf and mm-hmm. then he would like sneak into the other nations and like wreak havoc as a wolf and then come back and be a man Ooh, so he used his wolfiness politically yeah so so obviously Clever he wasn't beast. a real werewolf but like that was like that's kind of my first real person story where somebody was called a werewolf um it was and it's a pretty neat story it's it a is. neat it's a fun story and it's kind of that nice mixture of like mythos and reality mm-hmm. i dig yeah it. i like that I it's like a that good a transition story so now we're gonna jump forward like 500 years and this is where we get into like early witch hunt stuff mm-hmm so we talked about it a little bit last time, but essentially during the Christian witch hunts, oh my God, Christians stop ruining everything. <laughs> <laughs> Werewolves were cool before you came along. Nope, that's not. No, anyway. Not, um, not the case. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was a lot of like havoc wrought by werewolves, even in pre-Christian <laughs> So good job, Christians. You did not ruin werewolves. Yeah, although you probably shouldn't have witch hunted because, like, come on, guys. I'm talking to medieval Catholics. Stop it. Stop it. You're bad. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So what we talked about is that werewolves were kind of tacked on into the witch hunts. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, because it was especially, especially because it was considered to deal with the devil It kind of became, like, its own witchcraft, like, lycanthropy, blah, blah, blah. And so they were also burned at the stake and terrible things, etc. Well, and we talked about, too, it it was kind of more likely that uh, women would be accused of witchcraft and men would be accused of lycanthropy. Yep, yep. Because it's not like there weren't male witches. There absolutely were male witches. But I didn't find any female werewolf stories. Oh, interesting. I think that's because women were just considered witches. Because it's not like witches didn't have, like, the ability to transform into an animal. Right. Well, and we talked about, too, how, you know, the vilification of women and the practice of witchcraft being very um, demonizing of women being independent or, God forbid, sexual. Mm -hmm. And how much that had a sexual aspect of deal with the devil and that kind of thing. So, of course, the the manly side of the coin would then be werewolves. Yeah. And so, For better or worse. (laughs) Yeah. And and if you think about... You know, I'll definitely have to do, like, actual research and do an actual story on, like, the witch hunts and the, mm-hmm. the history of witches. But that's not anytime soon because that's a big project and I already just did werewol- werewolves. Give me a break. <laughs> but if you think about it, like, early witches were midwives. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They were essentially women practicing medicine with the understanding of female anatomy and female body and female needs and honestly like the oppression of like medieval and even more modern midwives has held back medicine to the extent that it still affects us so blah 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 witch hunts that's our that's our foundation for the next like bajillion d stories so we're going to 1521 france and we get the werewolves of Poligny, I think. See, I was going to say polygyny, but that can't be right. <laughs> Polygamy? I did nah, not say that. Nah, that's just Utah talking. 
<laughs> I said polygyny, but definitely <laughs> that comes from. Man, I see polygamists at the grocery store, but we should oh, not deal with that right now. Yeah, that's a different topic for a later day. Uh, yeah, I think it's werewolves of Poligny. Maybe. Poligny. Poligny. I'm not going to. Nope. Nope. Anyway, <laughs> I'm never going to say it again. It's France. Okay. Werewolves so, of France. We come from France. Yeah. And this is one of the earliest examples of the werewolf witch hunt. Okay. So... We start with a traveler was attacked by a wolf and he survived and he tracked it back to Michel Verdun's house. Verdun? Is that what we decided it was? Yes, Verdun. Verdun. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such a weird pronunciation. Okay. And, okay, so he, tra- he tracks it back to Michel Verdun's house where he was found dripping with blood. Who is Michel Verdun? Uh, Michel Verdun-, Verdun is just like a person from france i don't have any like background information on him other than he was just like a guy that lived there he was wounded and like his wife was cleaning his wound Mm -hmm. and so obviously this 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 traveler tracks the wolf back to verdun's house and verdun is found having his wounds cleaned by his wife and And so they're like oh it's a werewolf obviously right Right, of course. Obviously. There's no other so, rational explanation for somebody else being wounded after you were attacked by a wild animal. Yeah, no, obviously. So, of course, since he's clearly a werewolf, they torture him and he confesses. <laughs> yep, and like you do under medieval torture. Like you do. And under, you know, the duress of torture, he also implicates Pierre Burgot and Philibert Monteau. Montot? Monteau? Monteau. I think Monteau, Monteau is probably, probably correct. Probably Monteau. French love anyway, those silent T's. Yeah, they don't pronounce any of their letters. Guys, I speak Spanish, not French. <laughs> oh, this is just going to be making an ass of myself. Yeah, that's okay. Pierre Burgot then confesses as well that 19 years prior, he had made a deal with three men dressed in black in order to protect his sheep. And in order to, you know, do this, it also included him renouncing God and his baptism and swearing to serve the devil. Apparently. Wow, he must, he was really dedicated to his sheep. (laughs) I mean, I guess, man. Also torture. <laughs> also torture, yeah. Also torture. But, um... So he says that he met with Verdun at a, at a Sabbath, where they each took a green candle to the edge of the woods. Then they would dance and perform human sacrifices to the devil, or just, like, regular sacrifices. And then they'd spread an ointment all over their bodies, which would turn them into wolves. Wolf ointment. I mean, I can't say that I wouldn't try it. I mean, yeah, that's fair. Also, this is not the first time we've had ointment to wolves. Yes. You know. I mean, I feel like basically this is like real stories of like taking the old mythos. Yeah. You know. Uh, And so Verdun and Burgo separately confessed to killing and eating several children. Alrighty. Yep. God, that torture must have been... Torture is super, super effective. At, yeah. at least getting a confession. Right. Hasn't it haven't hasn't there been recent uh studies that have shown that it doesn't really 
Oh, it doesn't the, the, do shit. Yeah, it does not produce any kind of reliable information. By and large, it, it generally produces... I mean, well, isn't that... They guess, will provide any information. I guess that's the whole... Uh, I, I even I hate saying this, but the whole art ver- and science of torture, right? Isn't that the whole idea? Is that those people who are good at it or whose job it is manage to torture them just enough to get a reliable confession, not a batshit crazy, I'll say whatever you want confession? Well, the thing is, they've found that that's... Not a thing? Is that a myth? Yeah, it's not a thing. It's not a thing. You can't torture somebody just right? No, you cannot torture somebody (laughs) just right. Essentially, torture, you will say whatever it takes to make it stop. Yeah. And so... Well, and cognitive dissonance is powerful. You'll maybe mix in a little bit of truth, but for the most part, you'll mostly tell them what you think they want to hear. Well, and Which I is how even, you get false confessions. Right. And I could even see under a state of severe duress, literally, like, you know, again, just working in my job, seeing the things that people end up thinking are their fault. Mm-hmm. Like, I could see it how somebody under severe torture would end up going, well, shit, maybe I am a werewolf. That's the only other way I could explain how I've ended up in this situation where this pain is being yeah. wreaked on me. Like, yeah, you're right. I must be. Where I'm you obviously start to a werewolf. It. Oh yeah, there was that time I talked to those guys in that cloak while I was hurting mm-hmm. my sheep, and obviously I made a deal with the devil. That's what I did. Fuck me. Like, mm-hmm. and now that you mention it, I do kind of remember like turning into a wolf and going and hunting down children. Like that explains this agony, right? Got it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they probably didn't literally believe that they were werewolves, but. Yeah, no. And I mean, like, if you think about, like, not medieval torture methods, like, Ugh. good fucking God. Wolf. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah. So I would probably also admit to being a werewolf and eating children. I would probably admit that, like, yeah, I ate your child. I ate you. Yeah. Please I, stop. I don't think I would hold up under any kind of torture whatsoever. Oh, Yeah. No, I, I, I would admit to anything. And so a lot of these stories have to be taken with the biggest boulder of salt because a lot of them are torture induced. Oh, great. Let's get into more torture. So yeah, one of the things that I was thinking about recently was how fucked up it is that basically all of the werewolf mythos that comes from like the medieval era Mm -hmm. is like torture confessions (laughs) right what do you think i mean is the larger trend to that just catholic church uh what is it called uh uh crusades crusades like is that is that it or there's more to it than that but they didn't help (laughs) well because sometimes you you know you, you read history from that long ago and it just sounds i mean maybe it's just because we're so shielded from the brutal shit happening now which i think is a large part of it right like we're not Mm -hmm. it's not the the brutality is not as much a part of our daily life but definitely when you read about stuff from back then you're just like holy fuck like things were definitely more brutal back then was everyone's neighbors just constant like i think it's because death was so much more common well and i think we're again less shielded from it right like yeah somebody dies 
they die in a hospital and the mortician like it's very yeah. no they're immediately other, whisked uh, away you're shielded from it you're very mm-hmm. insulated from it yeah which like Whereas, i can like, only imagine having a loved one die or something like i mean i think you'd really appreciate that to a point but i think as far as the i i wonder what benefits we're not getting as a as a people psychologically from not having to confront the ugliness on a daily basis yeah well in like 150 years prior to this we had the black death yeah okay and like that slaughtered like a third of the world population right in a horrific way all of your neighbors were dead you know and so like that's kind and and that was the big black plague but it's the black plague came back in like little mini rolls throughout history and and so yeah no this was an era when like death was like wicked common and so i think people were just more brutal yeah i believe that you know it's kind of like how even in a country where we still have the death penalty we are all but left to lethal injection because we are just so horrified by we're squeamish about it mm-hmm. which yep. i think i mean I think there's the, the pros and the cons, right? There's like pros and cons. We're more enlightened, so we're more reserved about it and don't necessarily feel as good about it. But at the same time, we're a we lot... We have no, like, uh, psychological... Aptitude. We have yeah, no aptitude we're... for dealing with most things. Mm-hmm. And I think that, yeah, granted, everyday individual citizens maybe shouldn't be able to handle, you know, retaliatory killings. Mm-hmm. But... At the same time, there's some shit that we can't handle that seems a little ridiculous. Yeah. Like, maybe we should be a little bit tougher as a society. Yeah. I remember, have I told you about, um, I'm gonna go on a small tangent, but I don't know, that's one of the fun things about the show. Have I told you about watching, I think it's called Dark Tourist? It's on Netflix. It's the same dude that did the Tickled documentary yeah i uh i actually see dark tourist every once in a while and then i wonder if it's good or if it's just like whoring out people's cultures <laughs> it is it is i would say about 20 percent exploitative that's what I and then the rest of it is actually really good oh, okay yeah i can handle only 20 percent exploitation that's fine. yeah it is it is not very exploitative. In fact, most of the stuff that made me cringe was just sort of a general cultural ignorance and not a I'm using your culture for my TV show. Oh, good. good. So I would mix like the cultural ex- ignorance into that 20% exploitative and then maybe bump it up to a 30%. You know? Okay, so 30% either I'm actually intentionally exploiting your culture or I'm just too stupid to realize what's going on. Yeah. Okay. Because, like, um, I remember at one point he did, like, Santa Muerte in Mexico. Yeah. And that sounds scary. That sounds bad. It sounds bad. But, like, it's it's done by this uh, this lady, Donaketa, uh-huh. who's, like, this really cool, like, old lady who's just super comfortable with death. And, and like, Santa Muerte is not the worship of death. It's just the, I have come to terms with death. Right, that's cool. And it's actually psychologically really healthy. Right, that is really healthy. It's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And he's, like, weirdly uncomfortable with these cultures that are, like, psychologically healthy with death. But then at the same time, he's like, maybe that's actually better. Maybe we're the broken ones for not being okay with death. 
I mean, I think there's a lot of evidence about, you know, that's the whole thing, right? Those small, uh, more tribal kind of communities or people mm-hmm. who are really connected with their, like, before we evolved culturally to this point, that's what we were doing, right? We were living more primitively and we were more in touch with the realities of life and death. And so we had to accept it. And now again, we're insulated that it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I- and he did that with a couple of cultures that, that were like, like, uh, oh God, I cannot even remember the name of the tribe or what country they're from or anything, but it was one of those South Asian were they cultures. cannibalistic? Because there's people in the... No, it wasn't a cannibalistic culture. It was it was one of the cultures that leaves the body in the house mm-hmm. for a really long time and then, like, slowly embalms slash mummifies the body with tree sap. Oh. And then continues to interact with the body. Oh, wow. Like, they'll dig up grandma from, like, 20 years ago and she's still technically preserved because she was embalmed slash mummified by tree sap and they'll like clean her off and dust her off and like tuck some money in her pocket and put her back down. Interesting. I don't know about this culture. It's so cool. It's really, really actually very cool. And, and I'm just in love with it because like, they are not traumatized by death the way that the way we are, like they miss their dead loved ones, but they, it it doesn't break them the way it breaks us. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I and I just thought that was so cool. And I think he ultimately did. But he had a lot of like heebie jeebies like, ew, this is not okay for a really Mm -hmm. long time in that episode. And and I was just sitting there being like, man, I wish we thought about death like that. Yeah. You know, just wouldn't that be so nice? Right. Well, because that's I think a lot of I think when you think about it, a lot of. uh, I think that that big fear ultimately drives so much destruction and chaos for western societies mm-hmm. that i feel like that you know we, so in the therapy we do at, at my work um it's all based on i have these fears that i am avoiding by a b and c behaviors and maybe maybe it's overly simplistic but i feel like ultimately so many things as far as like power hungry dictators or fascists or you know, not caring about the environment and only wanting profit and all of these things, I feel like come down. And again, maybe I'm overly simplifying it in my head to make it something I can deal with, but come down to the people in charge being terrified of death and mortality and trying to amass power before they die. And that it just sort of thinks about on a global scale, what would happen if people didn't have that big ultimate fear? If they did not have that fear, would they be what better would, to each what other? What would things be like culturally? Yeah. And I definitely feel like if people, if Western culture did not have a pervasive fear of death, our culture would probably be a lot more beneficial and a lot more positive. Yeah. I definitely, I, I, I like agree and disagree. Because I definitely think that people would be still like power grabbing and power hungry. Oh, I don't think think that for some people that's just their nature. Right. I don't think it would change people's base negative nature, but I feel like that's such a strong driving factor. Yeah. I think overall, I think it would definitely be better for us to have like a healthier relationship with our own demise. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Anyway, huge digression. Okay, so we're actually only going forward, uh, like, 50 years, still in France, to Gilles Garnier. Ooh, Gilles Garnier. 
this is 1572 to 1573 era France. Okay. He's known as the Hermit of St. Bonneau or the Werewolf of Dole. Okay. So Garnier was a hermit who lived just outside of Dole in ye old France. Okay. He got married and he brought his wife to his buttfuck Egypt house. Okay. And he wasn't prepared to feed the both of them. He was used to only, because he was a hermit, he was used to only, like, taking care of himself. Oh my gosh. And so he had to, like, mega up his hunting game. How do I feed two people? How do I feed two people? So around the same time, you know, when he gets married, around the same time, children start going missing. Oh no. So the town authorities permitted a vigilante hunting of the local werewolf. And ultimately, traveling workers discovered what they initially thought to be a wolf when they realized that it was actually Garnier with the body of a dead boy. Oh my god. So this was actually terrifying cannibal hermit? So, so like I said, some of this is just horrible witch hunting, and some of this is gnarly serial killers. So, Gilles Garnier, a hermit turned husband turned, I don't know how to feed my wife, so we'll eat children? I think yes. I, I think that's really the case. I, okay, um. And this isn't even the most fucked up story. <laughs> I don't understand how... You how how was there no food? How was there no bun buns or uh, shit? I mean fish bugs like. Uh, to start eating children is a pretty big jump, and I just feel like he probably already had to be pretty crazy for that to happen. Well, I mean he was a hermit, so I kind of wonder if he was. My my curiosity is actually like, how did he manage to get a wife? That's what I was just thinking. Like, how could you? That's that's what, that's what I was saying. You would have had to already been pretty crazy, right? Like, how did she marry out of love or necessity? Because either way, you have to be stupid to marry somebody who would have had to have been that crazy out of necessity. And then if you married him out of love, how crazy were you? I mean, okay. So that being said. I do know a lot of serial killer stories where the serial killer had, like, a functioning family life at home. So maybe he was one of those two-faced crazy guys? So maybe he was a sociopath who was just like, ha-ha, now is my excuse to eat babies. Yeah, like, I mean, maybe he was eating babies more before that. Like, he was already eating babies, and then, like, he brought home a woman and was like, all right, more now babies. I really have an excuse to eat the babies. Jesus Christ. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's, that's how this starts. So he confesses to using an ointment to turn into a wolf. You know, I mean, if you already got caught eating babies and like, whatever. Yeah. Lay it on yeah. thick. Lay it on thick. Right. So I'm going to, I'm going to go through his confession. In October of 1572, he killed a 10 year old girl and ate her thighs and arms. Okay. Which I guess would be the good part. It'd be like eating the 
the the wings and, and thighs of yeah. a chicken. Yeah, that's kind of... That's that... honestly where my mind went, was like, just the <laughs> thighs like, and the arms, but that. okay, yeah. like, that's probably where the meat is. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Like, stomach Especially on is... a, like, on a, on a 10-year-old girl. Yeah. Like, you're not gonna get a lot of meat elsewhere. Yeah. Then he, he also took some of the flesh home for his wife. Yum. Yum. <laughs> Mm. Then a few weeks later, he attacked another young girl, but was interrupted. So he did not eat her, but the girl did succumb to her injuries days later. So she just died. So he still murdered her. He just didn't get to eat her. Mm. She died in vain. Nope, that's horrible. Anyway, um, (laughs) then in November, he killed a 10-year-old boy and ate his thighs and his belly and then he took a leg with him for later, which is like, okay, at that point, like, your wife's got to be like, that's not a dog. Like, that's not a, 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 a cow leg. That's not a sheep leg. Like, that's a human boy leg. See, once again, that's, is that, like, the culture just being super brutal and just being like, I got to do what I got to do to survive. That boy's already dead. Like, I know there was. Um, no, that dude crazy. Cannibalism. Garnier, crazy. There was cannibalism for survival, I know that, but this does not seem like that. Yeah, cannibalism for survival is definitely, like, a last resort thing. Right. <laughs> and and I'm pretty sure that when you literally murder children to do it, like, it's not okay. No, it's definitely not. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not okay. I think it speaks it's, more to Cannibalism your... survival is usually somebody already died. Yeah. I guess let's eat them. Because we well, gotta not die. I think, I mean, not like you can be a uh, valent uh, murderous cannibal, but I definitely think it speaks a lot. I think it speaks a lot more to your uh, character and your intent when you're specifically going after children. Because that is what you do when you're hunting. You go after the young ones. Both because yeah. the meat is tender and because they are easier to kill. Mmm, tender boy thighs. Don't say that. <laughs> I'm, I <really laughs> regret that. <laughs> anyway um let's see another boy he attempted to strangle but was again interrupted and this one did survive yay i hope he had a good life i hope so too um the next one's horrible okay i'm prepared so he there's another boy he he killed he essentially ripped him in half by eating through his belly so he ate his midsection until the boy was essentially he, he, in half. He, he confessed to eating to somebody alive until they died? No, I think he I think he killed the boy by like strangling him or whatever. But the b- body was found ripped in half because he had eaten through his midsection. So this is not even fancy cannibalism. This is like murder, sink teeth, it, like he was a werewolf. I just think he probably had a brain parasite. I wish I could oh, remember the name would, for the human version that. of Mad Cow. I can't remember it right now. Carew. What? Carew. Carew, is that what it is? Where you get the yeah. neuro... Uh... Maybe he had Carew. Ooh, I like that story. I this mean... just in. You heard it here first. Gilles Garnier had Carew from eating boys. <laughs> from eating boys. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Last Whoa. one. Uh, okay. In 1573, he strangled a girl and took his and took her leg to his wife. That's our last. That's our last murder. 
So he was found guilty of lycanthropy and witchcraft by a secular court, which is, you know, interesting because blah, blah, blah. We were talking about Christian witch hunts. And he was burned at the stake January 18, 1573. Again, interesting, though, considering what his crimes actually were. You know, it's it's funny to me that he was, uh, that there had to be the, why did they ha- why did he have to be a witch or a werewolf? Why couldn't they just say this shit's terrible? You I die think because, now. I think because back then explaining things by by calling things monsters made it a lot easier it's more palatable. than believing that humans are capable of this kind of horror. Yeah. You know? I think that's how monsters came to be. I mean, I feel like that's pretty generally accepted as far as monsters and everything goes. I just think, I guess I see it as a people versus person situation where it's like, yes, okay, people at large need uh, something more to believe in and a, and a way to write off the terrible things that happen. But then when you look at it um, on case by case basis, it, it can still be pretty baffling as far as like, did this really need to be explained? Can't you just decide that he's terrible and move on? Like, well, no, because then anybody could be terrible. Which is the case, which I guess is a Well, really it is difficult... the case, but, like, it's really horrifying to try to deal with that. I guess sometimes I feel like there can be this really, uh... This, this tendency to look back on the past in a very uh, simplistic and almost... I'm not saying this is what you're doing, but sometimes belittling kind of way where it's like, oh, people just didn't understand or they didn't get it or they were primitive or whatever. And it's like, well, there were still people and and on a a physiological evolutionary basis, they weren't actually any different than us. And we would not be any different than them uh, growing up in their culture. So are they really incapable of understanding what's going on or processing this stuff? Or is it just... Well, you know, lost in translation. I, I'm not. I'm not saying that like they were primitive and so they believed this. I just think that it's human nature to not want to look these kinds of horrors in their eyes. Yeah, and I and I say that considering that we do this. Like I regularly like hear about murderers and like assaulters and just horrible horrible people and and call them monsters yeah and and that is me separating them from the humanity that i identify with yeah because it's psychologically easier for me to not think of them in the same tier as me yeah you know yeah or or like other people that i know and love and trust Right, you do have to be able to be cognizant of some sort of tangible differences between you and the terrible people. Otherwise, who can you trust? Yeah. And also, like, it is a little bit like a less knowledge thing. Like, they did believe in werewolves at the time. Mm -hmm. And so they had an easy, oh, he wasn't a man, he was a werewolf, that they could just stick it on. Yeah. You know, they hadn't. It's not. Yeah. Like, it was just that it was an easy answer. And so, yeah, it's a wrong answer that's obvious to us now. But I mean, dude literally said he was a werewolf. So obviously he was a werewolf. Yeah. Because why would he not be a werewolf? 
look at what he did. Yeah. You know? Well, and I think, okay, I think this is interesting because we just barely talked about uh, the psychological benefits of living in a, for lack of a better word, more primitive culture, right? Having uh, non-Western views of death and things like that, how, how it can benefit you psychologically and make you feel more prepared and more calm and all of these things. But I think the downside of that is that you're going to jump to some kind of far-fetched conclusions, right? Like maybe if you have a more tribalistic way of seeing things, I guess not even more, you're going to be more open to the supernatural. If you have a more spiritual day-to-day life. I mean, okay. Yes. I would put that like, these guys were like hyper religious. That was real status quo back then. Right. If you're very religious and very connected with nature, of course it's going to be, more rational like it's not going to be as big of a leap for them to believe in werewolves as it would be for us yeah but at the same time like i don't necessarily think that those cultures that are more comfortable with death are more primitive i think that it's a different modern oh i, I definitely think don't think saying that it's more western primitive. and modern like are interchangeable is completely wrong because like i i think that that comfort with death that you get from these these cultures Mm -hmm. is like a weirdly modern view of death. It's just modern in a context that we don't really. Oh, I I agree with that completely. Yeah. Yes, definitely. So I think it can be hard. I don't, I sometimes feel like we don't have the diction to deal with these things, right? You say Western culture and that is, I mean, functionally that is a synonym for modern. And even if that's not what we mean, that is what's imparted. Right. Yeah. I I remember seeing uh, an essay a little while back that was essentially on, like, what the fuck even is Western. Mm -hmm. And it was essentially, like, you can't really define it. It's essentially, like, a buzzword used to get across a million different meanings. Yeah, for sure. But sometimes the buzzwords are still the best words we have. Oh, yeah. No, (laughs) we all use, we all use, like, you know, shorthand for our this and that's. Yeah. For this I mean, that. God, the fact that I just said this and that's was a shorthand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But no, no, explain, like, I don't know. Sometimes going through this stuff, like, you want to explain it with a better thoroughness than you have. Yes. It's just like we were talking about earlier, the, the uh, capable of higher thought, po- more powerful cognition, but then translating that into other people. <laughs> verbalizing that can be very difficult mm-hmm. yeah exactly <laughs> my brain we're works just, better we're than my just mouth. big kid toddlers okay yeah <laughs> yeah i know it's capable to express these thoughts i just don't know how to yes okay so let's move on to actually the worst one. Ooh. yeah okay this one's the worst one okay this one's pretty bad okay and we're actually we're not going far it's 1589 Germany, which is and this story just north Trey. of Dole, where we left. Actually, yeah, no, we're we're like barely, you know. Let's just go a little to the left, mm-hmm. <laughs> a little to the right, but you know, over the right. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, if you look at it on a map. Yeah. Hi, I don't know my rights and lefts. It's okay. It's your lady brain. It's okay. It's my lady brain, except for like I know the directions as far as like northwest. Southeast. Okay, so yeah, this Star Cray. And 
we do, I'm going to like background it, that we do have to put this in the context of this is in the middle of the like Catholic v. Protestant war. Okay. Ooh. So this might have been like a martyr of that. Right. It might have been a witch hunt thing. um, I would like to say if you would like more background information on Germany's role in the Catholic and Protestant war, you should listen to Hardcore History by Dan Carlin. And listen to the Prophets of Doom uh, episode of his podcast. It's very good. Very, very good. Uh-huh. Very enlightening. It's like historical true crime. It's great. Oh, that's kind of what we're doing right now. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Well, I should have listened to that before now, but. I mean, it's great. You can well, listen to it at any time. Yeah. Well, and also, like, I don't really want to go into the Catholic v. Protestant war. Right. I just want to, like, put that down I mean, as some of context. our some of our nerdy listeners might want to. It is, like, a three-hour aside, but it's worth it. <laughs> I mean, hey, if you're willing to listen to hour-and-a-half podcasts of people doing fairly decent research, then maybe you're willing to listen to three hours of somebody doing really, really good research. I would think so. Anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I, anyway. Aside over. <laughs> okay. So this starts with cattle mutilation. People would find cows dead and ripped apart in their pastures. And naturally, villagers assumed wolves. Mm-hmm. But then women and children began disappearing as well. Oh, no. And when their bodies were found, they were mutilated just like the cows. But a lot of times their bodies weren't found at all. Oh dear. So most continued to assume wolves, but some began to suspect a werewolf. I guess, what what would make them suspect a werewolf rather than wolves? Like what's the, uh, uh, what's the defining quality in the crime? Um, probably just the, what if it's a werewolf? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. You know, yeah, the gotcha. same way that you get, like, conspiracy theorists nowadays. Okay. <laughs> so, okay, so the young women that were found had been sexually assaulted before they were torn apart. Oh. And I think that that's a big, like, indicator there. Yeah. Obviously not um, a wolf. Wolves don't rape. I mean, not humans anyway. Yeah. <sighs> This is, this is gnarly. If it's true, it's real gross. So two pregnant women had their fetuses ripped from their wombs. Mm. And the children who were found had been strangled and bludgeoned with their throats ripped out. Uh, all of the victims were found partially eaten. Including the fetus? I think that the fetuses just weren't found. Oh, okay. When you said uh, they had been bludgeoned and strangled, I, I honestly, when you said the children ripped out and they'd been bludgeoned and strangled, made me think. No, that... no. The fetuses were separate from the children who were found. Oh, okay. Yeah. The fetuses were just the fetuses. Okay. So basically the, the pregnant women were found without their pregnancies. Ugh. <laughs> oh, that's so terrible. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. So one child did escape. A group of kids was playing in a meadow where cows were nursing their calves and a vile wolf came running in and caught a young girl attempting to rip out her throat. 
but her she had a high, tight, stiff neck collar on her dress mm-hmm. that saved her from the throat ripping. She must have been a Protestant. Probably. So she screamed, which startled the cows, who rushed the wolf, which caused the wolf to retreat back into the forest. And the girl lived. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Good job, little, little girl. girl saves the day and runs away. So after multiple human limbs were found in fields, the town gathered their dogs to hunt the wolf. After days of chasing, the dogs cornered the wolf. But what the dogs came upon was a cowering man. Mm. And according to the story, uh, he had transformed before them, but uh, that's, like, definitely bullshit. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, let's get to October 28th, 1589. What happened on October 28th, 1589? So this is when the man was found. So... Peter Stube, he's also called like a million different names, one of them being Peter Stump. Okay. Uh, apparently because he had like, he was missing a hand. Oh, that's terrible. Because this is back in the day when your name was literally given to you by whatever characteristic you were. Okay. And one of them was Stump. <laughs> but anyway, so Peter Stube is what he's usually called. He was a wealthy par- farmer and person of influence in town. And he's caught and he confesses that he made a deal with the devil when he was 12, where he was given a wolfskin belt, which turned him into a powerful wolf when worn. Hmm. So that's the wearing a wolf pelt thing. And do you remember a million years ago when I was talking about like these old awful titles? No. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Like back in the day when they had a... Just these, like, long run-on sentence titles, and it was like, damn, you were not competing in bookstores, were you? Yeah, it did not have to be interesting. You did not have to have, like, a short, snappy title. You could just, like, title your thing, like, this is the thing about the thing that the thing happened, and then the thing happened, and blah, 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 and I'm telling you the whole story in this title. Read my book. (laughs) So... (laughs) That's where you, that, that's, that's like the example for this story is most of this information mm-hmm. is from one pamphlet okay. that was published a couple years later by this like British dude. Okay. I don't remember his name because I didn't write it down. Oh dear. But I did read the whole pamphlet, which is where I got most of this information. And the pamphlet was called The Damnable Life and Death of Stube Peter, a Most Wicked Sorcerer. Or a true discourse declaring the damnable life and death of one Stube Peter, a most wicked sorcerer, who in the likeness of a wolf committed many murders, continuing this devilish practice 25 years, killing and devouring men, women, and children, who for the same fact was taken and executed the 31st of October last past in the town of Bedburg, Bedburg, near the city of Cologne, or Colin, Cologne, Colon? In Germany. That was the title. Yes. Please enjoy that horrible That was title. a lovely long title. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, that's, that's, that's fun. Fun.com. Anyway, so that's where, like, a lot of the information about this was. Mm-hmm. So, Peter Stube was a widower. He had one son and one daughter. And... 
he had incestuous relations with his sister and daughter, who he impregnated because he was gross. His daughter or his sister? His daughter. I feel like that's worse. It's worse. And he killed his son. Why did he murder his son? Uh, because he was a werewolf. Not because there was some crazy, like, polygamy. I, I recognize that story. If you are uh, sleeping with people, if you're if you're committing incest and murder your son, it's not because, well, I mean, you're crazy, but there's some uh, pol- polygamist, hierarchical... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting rid of the young... Ma- there's some getting rid of the young males that's happening there. You're, you're securing I mean, your maybe. seed. <laughs> But according according to him, he led the boy into the woods and then killed him and ate his brains. That's how... You, what, what is that disease again? Carew! That's literally how you get that is by eating nerve tissue. Like, that's... <laughs> <laughs> Neurotoxins I are... Th- like, I don't ugh. necessarily think that Peter's... Stu- I, I think that it isn't... Uh, I don't know if this is a true story or not. Okay, obviously parts of it are not true. Obviously. Obviously. And obviously some parts of it are true, but as far as whether or not this guy was that, like, horrifying, like, serial killer, I am 100% not sure. Okay. I have no clue. I'm just gonna throw it out there that neurodegeneration makes you crazy, and you only gotta eat nerve tissue once to get that shit. (laughs) Well, I don't... So, so essentially, he he was tortured when they captured him. Mm-hmm. And also, that's why the Catholic v. Protestant war thing comes up. Right. This was kind of a witch trial thing. Maybe. Right. Could have been. And so, essentially, he might have been sort of like a martyr for don't do this, do do this, blah, blah, blah. Right. And so, it's entirely possible that he confessed to all of this under the duress of torture. Right. However, it's also entirely possible that there really was this horrific serial killer that they finally caught who was just like an awful awful gross awful you know i feel like there's some sort of cliche about uh the truth lying somewhere in the middle yeah right i yeah. mean that's i mean maybe he was like a you know wealthy farmer who used his wealth to get away with murder one too many times yeah but, you know, maybe some of it was bullshit. It's, it's, either way, it gets a little bit tragic. Yeah, okay. Kind of. Okay, more, so it, more gets, tragic? it gets really fucking, yeah, it's, it's fucking wild. So, also according to his um, confession, on one occasion he was hunting in the woods and he came upon three people, two men and a woman. He called one of them who followed the voice into the woods. Then when that man didn't return, the other one went in after the first. And then when they both didn't return, the woman took off. And she was chased down. So the men's bodies were found mutilated, but the woman was never found because she had been eaten entirely. Okay. So Peter Stoop was sentenced to death, which, considering the time in that confession, is fair. <laughs> yeah, 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 okay. Like, I don't even have to make, like, a death penalty statement here. It, we're talking 1589 Germany. Somebody confesses to this shit. They're not gonna yeah. live. Yeah. So, this is also really fucking gnarly. So, he was tied to a breaking wheel. 
and patches of his skin were pulled off with red hot pincers. Oh. Is that to see if there then, was fur underneath? Oh. I mean, I think they were just torturing him, but, like, that's a possibility. Okay. That they were, like, checking for fur. I think they did it in somewhere between 7 to 12 places. <sighs> but, like, it was more than once. By a lot. Real, oh, ugh. Then his arms and legs were broken with the blunt end of an axe. And then finally, the axe was turned around and used to remove his head. Then his body was burned to ash, which is one of the ways that you can know that you've fully disposed of a werewolf, is if you burn the body all the way to ash. Right, okay, yeah, yeah. You know, so they were just, like, covering their bases. Mm Mm-hmm. But to make matters worse, his mistress, Catherine Trompen, and his daughter, Beale Stew. Wait, wait, were so also... Catherine was not his sister? That was somebody else who was thrown the bone to? I believe so, but it well, also might have been his sister. I'm not sure. Okay. I just know that her name was Catherine Trompen. So okay. either she, that was her married name and she was his sister, or it was just his mistress and it wasn't his sister. Okay. But his daughter, who was his daughter, Beale Stew, and Catherine Trompen, who may or may not have been his sister, whatever, uh, were also executed. See, also murdered. Right. What would they be have done? What... <laughs> because they uh, consorted with him. You consorted with the beast. Yeah. Okay. So murdered I mean, as witches. Yeah. Which is so fucked up if you think about it. Because essentially his daughter was raped by her father and then burned at the stake because her father raped her right at best at best she had stockholm syndrome and was like crazy like at best she had stockholm syndrome and was like you know a psychologically abused person consenting to what was going on yeah and then murdered and at worst it was like an ongoing horrific torturous experience that ended in her murder it's it's so fucky. And also, this is like a, an aside that we just keep bringing it back because werewolves. But I did notice that her name was Beale, which is very similar to Belle. Right. I saw that too, actually. <laughs> I was like, is that a typo? Is it Belle's tube? Like Beauty and the Beast? <laughs> yeah. No, it was Beale. But I, I attached our first picture that I will post when the pop when the podcast goes live. Um, but that's, but this is like this infamous wood carving of the mm-hmm. torture and execution. And you can see they're, they're pulling off his skin with the pincers and then they're breaking his legs and then they decapitate him. And then in the background, you can see his, you know, relations being burned at the stake. Oh yeah. You can see the, the dogs catching him in, in uh-huh. one panel. And then you can see this strange thing that they put up that I will describe. So as a f- future warning, the wheel that he was tortured on, the breaking wheel, was uh-huh. put on display. And on top of that, the town placed a likeness of a wolf. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, they displayed Peter Stube's severed head. Oh, of course. Yeah. That makes sense. So you can see that also in this mm-hmm. picture. So. I mean, so this is at least a true story in that this man was executed in a really horrific way. Yes. And so obviously 
the story itself is not a metaphor. However, remember how I said, like, there's some points in this where even when I get into the true stories, you get into who's really the monster? Yes. That was so, so hardcore here. You know? Because, like, he may or may not have committed these crimes. I have no idea if he committed these crimes. And if he did commit these crimes, like, oof. He certainly didn't deserve anything good to happen to him. Right, that's true. It's not... We're not gonna say that this was uh, justified if he did commit those crimes. But it would at least be better? Yeah. And what is provable and true is that this horrific shit did happen to him. mm -hmm. Yeah, and so it's... You know, it's an ever-present thing in monster stories is who is really the monster, but you get that from the true stories, and who's really the monster is something fierce in this, like, execution, mm-hmm. you know? Right, I like that. I like that little epiphany that that's the treatment of the monsters that really reveals who mm-hmm. the terrible people are. Because yeah. that's the thing with monsters, right? Is that's what makes it... Uh, comforting and excusable is that that's their nature they're monsters it's the mm-hmm. fact that they are not like us and they did not choose to do this it is in their nature and mm-hmm. so what's worse a beast acting in their nature or people who know better and can do better behaving yeah. beastly and like the whole concept of like oh well a wolf just naturally thirsts for human blood right you know which, if that's it's, the case, does does literally make it more permissible. Yeah. It's it's like, okay, I get why you did that. But then, you know, these are the people that are protecting you from the wolf. And are they any better than the wolf? Well, the wolf's certainly not going to remove chunks of your skin with red hot pincers and then smash your arms and legs and behead you. And then put your head up on a fucking, like, on a the wheel that you were pike. tortured on. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a, that was probably, ah, I don't know if that was the most wild story, because this story has a lot of wild stories, but it was a wild story. We are at least on one of the loop-de-loops. All right, loop-de-loop number, (laughs) at least one. (laughs) Loop-de-loop one. Okay, so this is probably the saddest of the witch hunt stories is this next one. Okay. So we're another hundred years plus. Mm-hmm. We're in Estonia. It's 1651. This is the story of Hans the werewolf. So this is, this is the middle of the witch and werewolf trials of the 17th century Estonia. Mm-hmm. Apparently that was like, it, it was their Salem, you know? Okay. So this is just like one example of those. Oh, Estonia is just north of Belarus. It's interesting to yeah, me yeah. because it's so, we're, we're it's so regional. It's mm-hmm. so regional. That's That yep. gives me many questions for later. Yep. And we'll have a Livonian werewolf later. Ooh. Yes. But, so this kid was an 18-year-old. Uh, Hans denied making a pact with the devil, but he did admit that he had been a werewolf for two years after being bitten by a man dressed in black. Okay, so did not make a pact. It was thrust upon him. Yeah. And you get your first biting story. Oh, yes. Which is pretty neat. And 
I think the the court asked him, like, did he feel a transformation or did he feel like it was just his soul or whatever? And he said that he felt like it was a full transformation. And the court decided that because of this man in black and because of this transformation that he must have made a satanic deal. And so he was convicted of lycanthropy and witchcraft and sentenced to death. So because of what you told us, you are lying. Obviously, this wouldn't have happened if you were just a victim. You must have done yeah. something. Isn't that so fucky? That's it's so it's bad. like it's it's like the throw a witch into the water, and if she floats, she's a witch. Burn her, and if she sinks and drowns, then well, at least she wasn't a witch. Right. I mean, that was part you know? of it, right? Like, I think didn't they kind of have this belief that uh, I think could justify a lot of of really heinous things, which was that well, if you, you were we- a good person, then we sent you to heaven. Yeah. So like whatever. If you were a yeah. good person, God has you now, so it's fine. Sorry, we're just trying yeah. to look out for the devil. <laughs> Except for in this case, like, you didn't even have, at least you were a good person. It was a, no matter what he answered, he was. Doomed. He made a pact with the devil and we'll have to sentence him to death. Right. Yeah. So yeah. that one's, that one's, like, the most tragic of the witch hunt stories for me, is this, like, 18-year-old kid basically being, like fast-talked into admitting a deal with the devil, even when he explicitly did not. And she's like, no, somebody bit me, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so sad. So, poor hands, R.I.P., I'm sorry for your 1651 existence. <laughs> I'm sorry for your 1651 existence. I mean, look, anything, oh, I don't want to go back in time. Yeah, no, not <laughs> Let's at be all. real. Let's be real. In every show where people go back in time, the time machine runs out of gas or batteries or whatever. <laughs> I don't need to get stuck in that shit. Yeah. Well, and also, like, God, would you want to be there as a woman? No. No. <laughs> no. Never. No. Get away from me. Anyway, so next story is a super wild ride and it's a lot of fun. So, so this is a different loop of loop. I'd ca- say this is maybe one of those. Or like, maybe this uh, is like Wicked. Is this like Wicked? Like Wicked? Oh. oh. Is this a whole Ooh. other roller coaster? Ooh. I don't know if it's Wicked. I would I would say Wicked is the last story. Oh, okay. But this is maybe Mousetrap. Okay. Lots of twists and turns. Or the spider. Lots of twists just, and turns where you think yeah, you're going to fall just, off the edge and you don't. It's just really weird. I love this story. This story is the funnest one. Oh, yes. Okay, that's perfect. The spider. Okay. Just so, exciting. we're back to Germany. 1685. Okay. Uh, we are in... Okay, so this is the Wolf of Anschbach. Okay. So, this is now a city in Bavaria, but back then, Ansbach was a city in the Holy Roman Empire. I okay. I kind of wanted to give you a, yeah, like... Yeah where it was so a wolf started preying on livestock but it moved on to women and children enough that it circulated in the town that the slayings were not actually done by like a wolf Mm -hmm. but were in fact uh the recently dead but far from mourned burgermeister reincarnated as a werewolf Okay, great. Of course. Now, I wanted to say Burgermeister because that shit's hilarious. I know, Burgermeister is the best word. But it essentially translates to, like, Burrowmaster. Okay. 
So is the mayor. Right, master of the burg. Yeah. I just, hey, burger. <laughs> <laughs> we eat burgers. <laughs> <laughs> like, literally, it was just me being like, hey. <laughs> anyway, so hunters went after the wolf and were able to chase it into an uncovered well where they cornered and killed the wolf. That was all pretty status quo. But what they did to the body is where it gets real weird. Okay, what'd they do? So they cut the muzzle off, which is kind of like, oh, sad, gross. But then they dressed it in human clothing and gave it a mask and a false beard. And then the essentially giving the body like the full representation of their old non-beloved Burgermeister. So dressing what their perceived werewolf up in its human form. Yes. Oh, that's upsetting. Yes. Now, after that, it was hanged from the gallows and, like, put on display as essentially the hanged Burgermeister. <laughs> oh, dear. So that's where that's where my next picture is, is you've got, like, the hunters chasing uh-huh. the wolf into the thing. But then if you look, you've got this right, fucking the, wolf. On the far left of the Dressed panel. up like this weird dude. I just, it's just uh, such a wild story. I just really, and this is, I mean, whatever. You can su- tell where my sympathies lie, but hearing this story, the you first- You feel bad th- for the wolf? Yes! Hearing this story, yeah. the first thing I thought was like, oh my god, I hope that wolf, like, died quickly because, like, that's not fair. I don't yeah. like, I don't like well, humans taking he- out their superstitions on animals. So, like, yeah, I, I, to a point, I get- Especially in that culture, needing to, like, kill a wolf if it's eating your livestock. Like, I can kind of understand that. but Well, and also uh, women and children. Yes. Because women and children actually did start going missing. Right. So, like, that's, you know, okay. I get that. But I just really hope that they didn't torture animals like they tortured people. No, I don't think they did. I think they killed it immediately. Good. I think it was just what they did to the body that was super weird. Yes. Good. Yeah. I I just... Okay, so this is probably me being fucked up, but I okay. don't have, like, a lot of, um, like, emotional tie to a corpse. Okay, go on. Like, um... Like, I, I, I do. I, I, I definitely understand, like, the need to find somebody's remains so that you can lay the body to rest, blah, blah, blah. But I don't find, like... The mutilation of corpses nearly as grotesque as I find, you know, the murder in the first place. Right, because which I think is valid. Right, when there's no longer <laughs> consciousness to feel pain, it doesn't have yeah. as much impact. But I think that that's the difference. Like, I'm not terribly bothered by the idea of somebody fucking with my corpse after I'm dead. I'm, I'm... other than the implication of what it would do to like my family. See, and I think about that and I go, I'm not terribly bothered, I guess, on the on the large spectrum by that action itself. But what's upsetting to me is the idea of somebody having the impulse to do like the the person with that impulse or carrying out that action does freak me out quite a lot. Uh, it, it, it makes me think of uh, when we watched Saw when it came out back in high school. And how I remember being very deeply disturbed. And on one level, I 
was just, you know, uh, superficially very upset by what I was seeing on the TV. But I also remember being very deeply bothered by the idea that, like, it, it more than I was freaked out by the show, I was freaked out by the idea that people would find it entertaining. And I think that's kind of where I'm at with the whole, like... Saw 1? Or just the Saw series? Yeah, something in the Saw series. I don't think it was Saw okay. 1. I don't even know. Because Saw 1 was actually kind of psychologically interesting. Yeah, I just remember... It was a little gory, but it wasn't gore porn yet. introduced to the gore porn genre, My okay. uh, what was upsetting to me was that people would be interested in it, not that it existed. And I think that's kind of how I feel about uh, corpse mutilation... The first thought I had was, oh my god, I hope that wolf was really dead when they started chopping off its muzzle. Uh, yes. Yes, it was. Uh, and uh, I don't think that they tortured the wolf. I, think I hope they not. Could. But yeah, yeah, it's just, it's more than... There's nothing in the story that indicates that it's, they It's more it. the mentality of people that would do that that freaks me out than the action itself. Yeah. And I guess I'm just... I don't... I think that this is also like my vegan mind thinking... It's, it's kind of like how cannibalism doesn't creep me out that much because all meat is gross to me. Right. And so my thought is when you take a corpse for eating, you slaughter it in weird, disgusting ways. Mm-hmm. So why is just a corpse so much more precious? Right. I get what you're saying. Yeah. And, I mean, if you think about it, what they did to the body, they cut off its muzzle. And when I first read that, I was like, ooh, that kind of icks me. Um, but that's it. Otherwise, they just dressed it up like a person. Yeah. And that's almost slapstick. Right. You know, it is slapstick, for sure. You know, it's like, it's very silly for how serious and horrifying the rest of these things are. That's true. You're right. It's a very objectively silly response. Yeah. So, so like, I, I don't know. I can understand either way. Like, yeah. it's definitely... I mean, it's horror. That's why we're talking about it. But also, I thought it was one of the, like, funnier stories. Yeah. And I just... It's just... It's just the wildest thing. Yes. Was, was like, okay, we're gonna take this wolf and we're gonna dress it up as that Burgermeister because he will know that we aren't fucking around with him. And it's like, no you just a ghost, wolf, man. Yeah. <laughs> Well, but that's the beauty about horror, right? Is it's unsettling or scary for people for different reasons. Yeah, for sure. Because, I mean, like, after... I mean, I've been paying attention to horror for so long that I actually can probably get through nearly anything Yeah. without being too fucked up over it unless it's real. Right. Like, I can get through horrible, disgusting horror movies, but... I have anxiety attacks when I watch, like, fail compilation videos and I think somebody actually got hurt. Right? I can't watch those. I can't do it. I hate them so much. Like, I love fails where it's, like, just little kind of trips. Like, somebody throws a snowball in somebody's face. I'll laugh at that. But when somebody, like, trips and then, like, they, like, they bend their ankle the wrong way. I'm like, no, 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 no. Right. My uncle sent me a video that involved somebody doing some stupid shit while they were doing carpentry work and falling off a ladder. And I was like, oh, God, I don't want to see that. Yeah. No, that's that not is funny. not okay for that's me. That's not funny. Yeah. So, so yeah, everybody has completely different thresholds, yeah. which is why we have trigger warnings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. 
anyway, so so that was just like a weird, funny, weird, horrifying story. Uh, after they did all of that, the body was actually preserved and transferred to a museum for permanent display. Lovely. So I guess somebody else was like, that's also weird. I would like to put this up in my museum. Thank you. It's also <laughs> weird. <laughs> <laughs> so now we are getting to Thies of Kaltenbrunn, the okay. Livonian werewolf. And I think this is probably modern Poland. Okay. Based on where. Okay. Yeah, I think. I'm not sure, but I think so. Uh, and we're in 1691. Okay. So this is actually just a wild, funny story. Okay, great. Okay. There's there's not even anything that gross in it. So Thies actually first had his run-in with the law in 1681, okay. so 10 years prior. He brought another farmer in to court for breaking his nose. Hmm. And according to the story, he had traveled to hell as a werewolf, or as a wolf, and, like, discovered the farmer practicing satanic witchcraft. In hell. In hell, yes. And uh, when he, like, you know, got in a fight with the farmer, the farmer broke his nose with the handle of a broom. Okay. So he was essentially laughed out of court. As he should be. The judges did verify that his broken nose. Okay, yeah. Nose is broken. <laughs> so so then it's it's uh, 1691, 10 years later. Thies is back in court as the witness to a different crime. And again, and essentially completely out of nowhere, he was he was in court as like the witness to a church robbery. And and it was like completely unrelated, but he was like, by the way, I'm still a werewolf. And at this time, dude was literally in his 80s. Okay. <laughs> so old man, old man is, oh my God, I bet I would love talking to him, but feel very uncomfortable. So this like 80 something year old is in court being like, by the way, I'm a werewolf. And they're like, please tell us about the church robbery. <laughs> <laughs> so according to his story, he and other werewolves would venture to hell three times a year. To fight the devil and his loyal witches in order to take back their stolen wheat and livestock. Okay, great. And uh, <laughs> and if he didn't do this, then they would have bad crops because their, you know, shit had been stolen. So he was like a uh, heroic werewolf. Yeah, he was a heroic werewolf. And, you know, when the court was like, isn't this satanic? He was like, no, we're the hounds of God. Okay, we're God's God, werewolves. Hounds. Got it. <laughs> and and oh my god, it was just it was just amazing. And this is where like they asked him like a bunch of questions and he kept changing his story back and forth and you know, he said, "Oh, well I gave up being a werewolf 10 years ago." And they were like, "But didn't you just say that you like went to hell like last year?" And he was like, "Okay, well I lied about that. I actually <laughs> I lied about that." <laughs> like he was literally a crazy old man. Okay, great. I love him. Um, and this is actually the one situation where he was not actually, like, put to death. Yay! He, he was convicted for heresy, and he was sentenced to be flogged and banished. Okay, that's not so, so bad. They, were, they essentially kicked him out of the town after, like, spanking him. Right. Which, I mean, I guess, like, crazy old man, you don't actually want to burn him at the stake. No, probably not. So... 
Yeah, as far as, like, these gross old stories goes, that's, like, the funnest, least shitty of all of them. Yeah. (laughs) Great. I love it. Yay, not being murdered for being crazy. I love it. The Livonian werewolf. Peace, you're so fun. Peace, you're so fun. (laughs) Okay. And final story. We're on Wicked. Woohoo. And this story is a ride. But it's good. It's really good. And I kind of looked up how to pronounce stuff. Yay! So, we're back in France. It's 1674 to 1767. It's 1764 to 1767. And... So, this is the story of the Beast of Gévaudan. It's it starts June 30th, 1764. Okay. A 14-year-old, Jeanne Boulet, mm-hmm. was watching her cattle and was mauled to death. Okay. And we don't know much about the story other than, like, I think a priest had noted something at her burial. So there's not a lot of, like, documentation on her. Okay. Then August 8th, a 15-year-old girl was torn to pieces. And at the end of August, a 16-year-old boy was found dead in the field that he worked. Okay. Lots of teenagers dying in fields. Yes. So there, and and the thing is, um, since this time, studies have been done on, like, how many, like, wolf attacks and how many bodies were found and Uh how many, like, attacks there were. And... It's, like, between 1764 and 1767 when Uh this, like, story takes place. And some cite upwards of 200 attacks with more than 100 deaths. Whoa. So this is a big scary. Yes. So big big ramping up, big people getting scared. Uh, September had four more deaths. Okay. Uh, Three were children and one adult woman. And the woman was killed right in front of her home. Ouch. So so people started getting pretty scared. Mm-hmm. In October, a woman was decapitated. And her body was found that day, but it took another week to find her head. Ooh. So that was... That was the start of it. And that led to, you know, some big hunt. Mm-hmm. Big hunt for this big bad wolf. So in comes Jean-Baptiste Duhamel. He was a captain, Mm -hmm. and he brought 60-foot soldiers and 20 men on horseback to come and help him hunt the big naughty werewolf. Okay. So they set up, like, wild-ass traps. They set up scarecrows filled with blood and poison. Uh, So, like, maybe the wolf would eat the scarecrow and die? Yep. Okay. That was their hope. On on several occasions, they would send soldiers dressed as a single woman into the forest as bait. Great. Which is my favorite. That's they fantastic. Were, Drag they were soldiers. bugs bunnying it. <laughs> Hell yeah. At, uh, at one point, they, they heard of a sighting and were able to use the tip to find the beast. Mm-hmm. And the men, like, opened fire on the beast, but it got away and ran into the forest. They followed after it. And spotted it and opened fire again and the beast fell. But when they got to where they expected the body, 
it was gone. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Oh my God, I actually wrote that in my notes. Yeah, you did. I saw that. I was trying not to say it. I was like, don't read her notes. Don't read her notes. I didn't mean to. You're supposed to read my notes. Well, I meant like read them out loud. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I was looking at my note cards where I hadn't written dun, dun, dun. Oh. <laughs> and then I looked up at my dun, outline dun, dun. and I did write dun, dun, dun. <laughs> oh. So, uh, so yeah, the body was gone. Two days later, more victims were found three miles away. And then the next day, a girl was found dead miles in the other direction. Okay. And so not just, like, the amount of attacks was what was so scary, but the how widespread it was. Yeah. Like, it was all over the place, and it was so deadly. Yeah. So it was just... I mean, God, could you imagine being a peasant that essentially lived in the woods with, like, you have no GPS, you have no major roads, like... No communication. There is something, yeah, there is something that is getting around fast as fuck, like, faster than news can travel. And killing people. slaughtering. So, yeah, I understand the peasant panic. Yes. In this time. I can definitely empathize with that. A hundred percent. So this brought in peasant armies and rumors. Mm-hmm. And this is where, like, oh, it's a werewolf started. Yes. Which makes sense. You know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Crazy shit like this happens. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be like, oh, yeah, definitely. It was a werewolf. <laughs> of all of the, this is definitely a werewolf. This is definitely a werewolf. Yes. Okay. Definitely a werewolf. Definitely a werewolf. Okay. So, in January of 1765, seven boys were attacked, and one boy actually chased the beast to save his friend. Oh, nice. Um, the boy was uh, Jacques Portefaux. Good job, Jeff. Portifax? Portifax. Yeah, Portifax. Jacques Portifax. F-A-U-X would be faux. Yeah, Portifax. Yeah, Portifax. And he hit the beast with a stick, and it ran away. Great. Yeah. And the story actually got to uh, King Louis the Fifteenth, mm-hmm. and he like rewarded the boy with you know money and scholarships, and Great. you know it became like a, a national story, which was really cool, a sweet little story. And the king also around this time sent for wolf hunters. Okay, now. Part of it was maybe the Jacques Portifax story. Mm -hmm. Jacques Portifax. Jacques. I don't know. Fuck French. Um, But also part of it was possibly like markets were getting shut down Mm -hmm. and farmers were getting like too scared to actually work their fields. Okay, that's bad. And so something something economy bottom line. Yeah, that makes sense. So that was probably a also big reason. Mm hmm for sending in a wolf hunter. And this is where we get Jean-Charles Deneval. Mm -hmm. And let's see. What do I have written about him? Oh, yeah. It was uh, Jean-Charles Deneval and his son, uh, Jean-Francois. And Jean-Charles bragged of having killed over a thousand wolves. And... uh, (laughs) It's kind of funny because the Denevals and the Duhamel crew kind of butted heads. Uh-huh. Uh, because the Denevals 
did like you know the the tracking and hunting mm-hmm. with like stealth and duamel was a lot more of a well i mean that's the, the story of them like all like he brought in 60 foot sto- soldiers and 20 horses right or 20 horse soldiers and you know they run into a wolf and they all fire on the wolf right so they had very differing beliefs and approaches. on how to track the wolf. Yes. And they were overtly uh, like in opposition to each other. Okay. Okay. So so that's kind of like a slapsticky section of this story. Competitive hunters. Oh yeah. So this is this is where this this story of oh god, this is such a bad story. Okay, so um <sighs> I told you about Duhamel and his fucking poison scarecrows. Yes. So this woman, uh, Catherine Vully, uh, is found dead in her field. Okay. And instead, the the guy, Duhamel, goes to the family and says, hey, she's already dead. Like, how about you let us use her body for a day or two? <gasps> Oh no. And they put her body back out into the field and just sort of like wait, hoping that the wolf will come. Oh no. So the wolf doesn't come and they give the body back, but uh that's a thing that happened. It's not a good tactic. Not a great not a great story for that one. And then okay, so this is like the you wanted some woman story. I will give you some woman story. Yay! Okay, so uh, Marie Jean Vallée. She brought a simple, simple sharpened spear with her to enter the forest when she came across the beast. She claimed it walked toward her on its hind le- on, eh, on its hind legs, and its eyes glowed. Dang! So this is that whole Luguru. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So very werewolfy. She speared the beast's chest, and it fell back unmoving and she ran back to the village to tell the others but when they returned the body was gone and the wolf was spotted the next day (gasps) yeah so uh uh valet actually became known as the maiden of uh jevoudan and if you go to the bottom of the document there's actually an image of her spearing the beast with her boob sticking out yeah, <laughs> I think it's kind of funny that her tits sticking out. Yes, lovely male artists. Yeah, but um, yeah, she's she's the badass bitch that we all needed from this story. Nice, thank you. I appreciate that. She came in to make a big hurrah, hurrah. for women at the end of our werewolf stories. So King Louis was. At his wit's end after this point, because mm-hmm. he has several hunters that are supposed to be super, super capable hunting these wolves. And these wolves are still fucking killing people. And this fucking random chick, who's just a peasant, mm-hmm. shows up and at least stabs it and survives. Yeah. So how is she getting more, yeah, like... what the fuck are they doing? <laughs> How is she getting better results than you? So he su- he sends for the king's gun bearer. Okay. So we get Francois Antoine. This guy is a knight and he is the lieutenant of the hunt. Oh, cool. I.e. the gun bearer. 
he actually like full on like he he evolves but better. Okay. He mapped forests, he spoke to the locals, he like took his time to like survey the area, right? Smart. So on September 21st, so this is it's been over a year. Mm-hmm. That that this wolf has been co- going around and fucking shit up. He is in a hunting party and they are able to ambush the wolf. Okay. Someone gets a lucky shot and directly hits the wolf's eye. Okay. Killing it because it enters the brain, blah, blah, blah. So they killed the wolf. Yeah. It was abnormally large, but it was just a wolf. Just a wolf. So it was about three feet tall. And six feet long and 150 pounds. That's a pretty beefy wolf. It was a big wolf. Uh, Usually wolves are between two to three feet tall, between three and five feet long, and about 100 pounds. Okay. Beefy wolf. So it was a beefy wolf. They can get that big. But it's not common. But it's not common. That's a big wolf. So, you know, they were like a little disappointed, Mm -hmm. but also excited. So the wolf was stuffed and brought to Versailles, and Antoine was rewarded monetarily, and uh, the king gave him permission to add the beast to his coat of arms, which is pretty cool. That's pretty dope. So homie's given enough money to retire, so he fucks off. However, in December of 1765, more attacks started again. Damn it. But all of the hunters had gone home because this is September when the wolves killed yeah. and the attacks don't start up until December. So everyone's like, okay, fuck off. Yeah, it's fine. So the peasants live like this, you know, completely unprotected for over a year, Ugh. like a year and a half. Oh, I wrote in uh, unprotected horror. Yes, it's a good phrase. An unprotected which is, horror. Which is pretty good. Yeah. So we're in... June 1767, mm-hmm. and we go to uh, Jean Chastel. Mm-hmm. So he's a 60-year-old peasant farmer, and he heard that the beast had been spotted in a nearby field. Mm-hmm. So he went and set up camp in the nearby field, praying with his rosary uh, while he waited. But before he went to the field, he forged two large-caliber bullets out of silver Mm. and had them blessed by a priest great and this is the first time silver bullets are used to kill a werewolf of course because jean uh chastel Mm -hmm. smart man yep so so this is actually probably where the silver story comes from right that makes sense the the very first time we're hearing it referenced yep so the beast appeared and Chastel shot but missed, alerting oh no. the wolf who charged at him. He shot again and hit and the wolf collapsed. While investigating the corpse, they weighed and measured it and cut open the stomach and inside was the body of a little girl. Oh no! So the wolf was preserved by embalming, but it was done poorly, and they had to burn the body before making it to Versailles, making Chastel a hero of Jevedon, but otherwise completely forgotten. 
Oh, no. That's a bummer. Yeah. So, remember how I said... Bad taxidermy ruined the day. (laughs) Remember how I said um, the Red Riding Hood stories and the werewolf stories came together? Yes. You know how they open up the (gasps) the body and find a little girl? Yes. That's how it crosses over, the little girl in the belly of the wolf. So this happened in June of 1767, and the French, uh, Charles Perrault actually lived in the 17th century. Uh Uh-huh. So that story actually happened a hundred years before this story was written. Uh-huh. But the Grimm brothers, they were born 20 years after this happened. Okay, so they pretty much grew up on this kind of story. Well, they could have very easily heard this story and crafted it into their myths. And they are the ones that put in the whole opening the wolf's stomach mm-hmm. and getting the girl and her grandmother back out. Yep. Isn't that fucking wild? Well, I think it just shows how these stories, like, you know, because they're explaining terrible things that happened to people at the time, I think they get so thoroughly passed on, right? Because Mm -hmm. whether they're true or not, you're trying to protect your kids. Mm -hmm. So 20 years, like, I wasn't necessarily raised on stories of things that happened 20 years ago, but 20 years then is not, as far as remembering something horrific that happened in your village, that's not that long. Yeah. For sure. And I mean, it, it passed from from France to Germany, but at the same time, so did that story of Little Red Riding Hood. Right. That's so, not a big leap either. So if you take the story of Little Red Riding Hood and you take the Beast of Jevoudan, you have the Grimm Brothers story of Little Red Riding Hood. Yes. Isn't that so fucking nuts? I love it. I, I love, love that it. crossover. I love cultural connections. So ta-da, I did my full wraparound. <laughs> Woo! Woo! Back to Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah. So that was just the craziest shit is that like, yes. this is when, this is when the story of Little Red Riding Hood becomes, and then you open the wolf and get Little Red Riding Hood back. Right. And it's right after they kill what they believe was a werewolf and- pull a little girl's body out of its stomach oh it's it's just so wild that this is intense i i mean i just really love it when when you can do a lot of research on stories and find Mm -hmm. oh my god these crossover yeah almost certainly this was inspired by this yes Almost certainly. And it's just, it's just so cool to me. I mean, like, that's kind of why I wanted to start this podcast is because I kept, right. like, listening to you things. You want to see and... the, the cultural connections and the mm-hmm. implications of stories on society. Yeah. I get it. I kept, it's exciting. I kept seeing these connections and being like, I gotta shout this into the world. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes. So, yeah. This is, this has been Pomegranates and Pitchforks. I love it. We are a horror podcast that brings true stories and not true stories together into beautiful and also very disturbing harmony. Oh, I love that. Beautiful and very disturbing harmony. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I hope you've enjoyed this probably very long episode. Very long episode. 
Yeah, so obviously we've changed our name to Pomegranates and Pitchforks. So find us on Twitter and Instagram as Palm, Palm Pitch Pod. Palm Pitch Pod. <laughs> and you I can email us at palmpitchpod at gmail.com. And it's just P O M P I T C H P O D. And uh, that's been all for today. Thanks for listening. <laughs> okay, love you, bye. Love you, bye. <laughs> <laughs>